This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 89 with Cal Fussman, part one. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Am I going to be a watcher or a doer? Quote from this week's guest of Shop Talk Radio. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Shop Talk Radio. Today, I get to have an amazing guest, Cal Fussman, who is the writer of What I Learned in Esquire. And I actually saw Cal speak on the Summit at Sea boat probably last November on the art of the interview. And it was an amazing amazing chat. So I wanted to have him on the show. He's an amazing storyteller, interviewer, and speaker. Cal has interviewed people like Gorbachev, Ted Kennedy, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, Jack Welsh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, George Clooney, Muhammad Ali, Tom Hanks, Quincy Jones, and so many more. And we get to his stories in this podcast about interviewing some of those people which are fascinating. He is an animated character and he tells his stories with so much passion and enthusiasm. We ended up having such a great conversation that we had to split the interview into two parts. So stay tuned for the second part coming out in a couple of weeks, but this first part is great. And in this first part, we talk about many things, such as finding your niche and what you are really passionate about. We talk about why he used to identify himself as a writer and how speaking has now given him new life. We talk about where his passion for interviewing and journalism came from, for writing for the school newspaper. We talk about how fame is different now than it used to be. And we also talk about how he started to make money with journalism in the very beginning. We also talk about how to pursue your passion, why you have to look forward instead of backwards, how to create success by doing. That is all part of the first half of this episode. And stay tuned for the second half for some really cool things. He flips it around and interviews me for a little bit of it. And then we also hear his amazing story of interviewing Muhammad Ali. So part of my passion and purpose with this podcast is to help you learn and grow and to find amazing, interesting people to learn from and to share that with you. So if you're feeling inspired and you've gotten something out of any of these episodes, love it if you could help me out by leaving a good review on iTunes and help us to get the word out to more people. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever social medium you prefer. So without further ado, I give you Cal Fussman. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and today we have Cal Fussman on the show. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Nate. It's a pleasure to be in the presence of your hat. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, a, it's a hat. I don't know if many people have ever seen this hat on you. Maybe many of your listeners have, but man, it, this is a custom made kind of cowboy hat that 
has character burnt into it. It is an amazing piece of art, and it really makes me come here want to tell stories. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I'm excited to hear your stories. Very excited. I, I saw Cal speak at Summit Series, and by far for me, it was one of my favorite pieces of content at, at Summit. It was amazing. You did an amazing job. And Cal writes and interviews, but I'm going to, we just asked this question and I'm going to let him answer. Who are you? What do you do? How do you explain that for yourself? Well, for a long, long time, many decades, if you asked me what I was, I would have told you I'm a writer Hmm. because underneath it, that's who I am and how I started. But if you were following my life's trajectory, you would have seen that I went to journalism school at the University of Missouri and then came out and worked a few years in newspapers and magazines. But then I took off around the world mm. and I traveled 10 years around the world without a home. So people who met me along that way didn't really see me as a writer. They saw me as a traveler. Mm. I've also worked in hospital emergency rooms I got a license for a while to work as an emergency medical technician, people on the guys on the ambulance. Oh. And so there are people who saw me as a guy in the ambulance. Yeah. And just recently, right before I gave this speech at Summit at Sea, it was the first time I had ever spoken in front of a crowd. And I went, it had a beautiful massage parlor downstairs at the Mm. bottom of this cruise ship and sitting there being interviewed by the massage therapist. And she says, so Cal Fussman, what do you do? I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden out of my mouth came a speaker. And she said, Oh yeah, where do you speak? I'd never given a speech before. (laughs) But in that moment, when she started to ask me these questions, I was a speaker. And ever since then, I've been speaking, which is kind of interesting because a lot of the work that I've done for Esquire magazine over the years, the What I've Learned column, you don't see me, you don't hear my questions, I don't write a word, it's just interviews in the subject's voice. Mm. And so for me to speak is... Very new thing. Mm. That's what I'm going to start to do now. You're very good at it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was captivated by your by your talk at Summit. It's one of those things where I've been telling a lot of those stories. Yeah. Around Saturday night dinner conversation. Like, oh, yeah, tell us a story about De Niro. Tell us a story <laughs> about Gorbachev. And all of a sudden I was asked, hey, put this together into a presentation and speak before an audience. And I thought I'm going to be lucky 14 people will show up because Summit at Sea, for those of you who never been there, it's a group of about maybe 4,000 entrepreneurs and business people showing up on this gigantic cruise ship and they got events all day and all night long. Mm. And so I was asked to be one of the speakers on decoding the art of the interview and there are a lot of other events going on. So I didn't think that there would be much interest mm. come to see Cal. And I figured, okay, I get maybe 14 people, but 
Here's an interesting point. Adam Braun, I read his book, hmm. Pencils for Promise. Yeah. And in it, there was this great scene where he's going out to give his speech very early on. Mm-hmm. And he wants to tell people what, what he's doing. And he's got maybe six friends that are going to show up. And when he goes out to give the speech, there's only seven people there. His six friends <laughs> yeah. is one woman. And in his book, he, he writes, when you go out to give a speech, if there's one person there, just throw yourself into it mm. directly at that one person because that one person came to work for his organization. So he saw the value in speaking directly at this one person. So that's what I was thinking. Maybe if I'm lucky, 14 people will show and I'll zone in on one and I'll just talk to that one person. (laughs) And then at the very last minute, they move the area where I'm speaking. So now I'm thinking, all right, like maybe eight people are going to show up. (laughs) All of a sudden, the room starts to fill. All of the seats get taken up. People are now sitting cross-legged at my ankles. The aisle down the middle of the room is taken with people sitting cross-legged. The back of the room is packed. And there's a long line out the door. And I'm just looking out there saying, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. We're going to find out if you're a speaker pretty soon. Absolutely. (laughs) I love it. Well, you pulled it off. Yeah. so, So now I'm speaking a lot. Good, yeah. good. The world needs to hear more of what you have to say. And that's the great thing about it is it has given me a completely new life. Mm. You know, you turn 50 and I think a lot of people think that's it. Yeah. What you've done is about it. Well, I'm thinking like a 22-year-old now. Ah. In fact, the interesting thing is a lot of my friends now are 22 and 23. So just to give you a little background, I moved out to Los Angeles about eight years ago to help Larry King write his autobiography. And when I did, I joined his breakfast table because mm-hmm. he would meet with his buddies and everybody was in their 70s, soon to be 80s. Yeah, I was the young guy at the table. I still am the young guy at the table. <laughs> And what happened is about two or three years ago, there was a, a kid, his name was, he's not a kid, he's, he's 22 or 23. His name is Alex Benayan. I don't know if you know him. Mm-mm. He's doing this amazing project. He left school to try to understand the meaning of success. Mm. And so he was going around the country trying to talk to the most successful people and get the secrets of success from the point of view of like, what were they thinking when they were 22? Yeah. And so one day he sees Larry King on the streets and he goes racing after him. Mr. King, Mr. King, can I please talk to you? And Larry says, of course, yeah, show up for breakfast. So Alex shows up for breakfast and at breakfast, Larry says, you're writing a book. And Alex says, yeah. He said, you ought to talk to Cal. And so this friendship started and that friendship is what led me to summon at sea to give that speech. Oh, wow. So I sort of 
help him out a little with the writing of his book. Mm. And he has helped turn me into a 22 year old. I love it. Completely new outlook and, and career. It's, It's really phenomenal. That's amazing. The mentee teaches the mentor. <laughs> I guess it can work that way sometimes. Yeah. And, and the amazing thing about it, though, is to be in your 50s and to be thinking like a 22-year-old. Mm. But the technology is all a mystery to me. Yeah. And I, I, Alex would say to me, uh, like, do you tweet? No. <laughs> Instagram now. And then he'd go up and he'd look me up on the internet and he said, like, hold it. Like you've interviewed everyone from Gorbachev to Muhammad Ali and Pacino, De Niro, and there's no Wikipedia page for you. And I said, what do I need a Wikipedia page? <laughs> and so he's kind of smacking his forehead. Like, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> like, you better you you better get it really yeah. quick because yeah. everything has moved on. Yeah. And so, okay, now I now I tweet. Now you tweet. Now right. I tweet. And I, I tweet something every day and I'm <sighs> um learning about it. And I haven't really jumped into the Instagram yet. Oh. And the Snapchat, you're gonna have to explain the Snapchat to me. I mean, the Snapchat thing, I'm I'm still just getting used to, but it's kind of like a, a visual behind the scenes view I think of your life and it's it's you it only lasts for 24 hours you can do video or you can do stills and you can't alter anything you can't create anything like Instagram you can curate what you put up what kind of photos or videos that you choose to put in your feed and Snapchat is just a very like whatever you shoot is the moment and I think that's what is appealing to people is that they can kind of see what you're doing in, in behind the scenes of your life but if somebody heard, oh, there's this great moment three days from now, they can't see it. No, no, you can't. It, it disappears in 24 hours. So every time you, every post 24 hours later, it's gone. You can download it and save it, but you, it won't be public for people to consume. You, you know what that, that reminds me of? It's a little like when I watched TV as a kid. Because there was no YouTube then. Yeah. If you missed I Love Lucy, you missed I Love Lucy. You went in, you went to school the next day or people went to the office and they had to hear everybody talking about I Love Lucy (laughs) and you weren't going to see it. Yeah. And I guess that's, it's a little like the fascination of, uh, of Snapchat. I'm going to have to look into it, but I better just get caught up on the tweeting and the Instagram first. I think it's. You get up, you got your Twitter going, Twitter game going and you can practice at that and get on the Instagram. Is a Snapchat more like 14 years old, 15 years old? I think that's the Vine crowd. The Vine, okay. like I can't even do the Vine, but I think Snapchat is a little bit more. It's it's the young young kids, but also there's people in uh, all my friends, 30s, 40s, we're all using it too, 20s. Here's what I don't oh. understand. I went on Vine once and there was this guy dancing salsa with a broom for five seconds and a million people follow this guy. Mm. Like, what? What am I missing here? <laughs> I, I don't quite get it. I don't know. I think that's where you have to like really jump into the to the youth, the mindset of the youth. What was that quote you were talking about earlier? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was telling you. I interviewed the guy who created the internet. 
uh, Vince Cerf. No big deal. And uh, one of the things Vince told me was you don't have to be young to learn about technology. You have to feel young. Mm. And so I get, I do feel young. I get it. Yeah. But still, I don't know anything. <laughs> and so you know, the amazing thing about it is like, when I was in high school, the one thing I did best, I was the best typist because I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to work at a newspaper. Mm. Get me rewrite. You know, you hear those, yeah. those keys clicking. And I could type in 11th grade, like 120, 130 words in a minute. Wow. I was the best, right? Yeah. And all through my career, I could bang stuff out. If, if I need to transcribe something, I could whiz through it. And now I got to send a text on an, an iPhone and like I'm moving with one thumb over a letter <laughs> and my kids are saying, dad, give, give me that phone. Give me that phone. <laughs> they can't, it's painful to them yeah. to watch me try and send the text. Oh, and see, that's what I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do things like the 22 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can learn. You just have to practice and play and give yourself that room. To do it. It just doesn't seem to be room on a keyboard. Like you got <laughs> two thumbs and it's like half the keyboard you, you've taken up. <laughs> it's a different thing. Like, different do thing. you text with like 10 fingers or what? Like, what do you, I, I do the double thumbs thing. Double thumbs. Yeah. Sometimes if I have one, one finger, I'll do one, like the index finger, but it's the two thumbs is the fastest. I'm going to work on the double thumb now. Yeah. You just got to be aware for the, the you got to be aware of the, the auto correct. Cause it's, it's more about, it's more of an auto incorrect. If you've noticed for, for me, it's it's always misspelling. I, I almost misspell more words with the autocorrect feature than not. I, I didn't quite understand that either. Like I would type in somebody's name and then they would give me a word. And no, it's his name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's jump back a little bit. Okay. So when you were a kid, you I mean, you were typing 120 words a minute. But right. where did the passion for writing and interviewing and, and journalism come from? Well, the, when I looked back on this and I've only done so recently because I've only just started to speak recently uh, and people start asking me questions like, when did you know you could interview people? Mm. And as when I thought back, a story came to mind that goes to a day in 1963, late mm. November, mm. I'm in second grade, just turned seven years old. And I remember the teacher walking into the classroom. She'd been out for some reason and came back with this look on her face that said something was wrong. And she looks at the class and she said, President Kennedy has just been shot. And not long after, President Kennedy dies. Everybody gets sent home from school. And... That night, my parents explained to me, okay, this is how it works. Like, don't be, don't be nervous. You got a vice president. Something like this happens to the president. The vice president steps up and he becomes the president and there's nothing to worry about. And so I'm sitting there thinking about this and I'm saying, wow, this vice president, Lyndon Johnson, I bet you he wanted to be the president. Mm. You see, he came close, but he didn't get to the top. Now he's a president. Yeah. So he must be really happy to be the president, but he can't be happy 
because of the way he became the president. Mm. And maybe he's not happy because maybe he's scared to be the president because somebody may try and kill him. And so I'm, all these thoughts are going through my mind and I, I pull out a piece of paper, a pencil, and I go, dear President Johnson, I wish I knew exactly what I wrote, but what I think I wrote was like, what does it feel like? Because six months later, I got a letter back. Hmm. And uh, it was written not by personally by the president, by, but by his personal secretary. And what was cool about it was there was a spelling error. So it like came off her typewriter. It was real. Yeah. And she gave me a very political answer. But the, the very great thing about it was she treated me like an adult. So in that moment, I knew I was taken seriously as an interviewer. Mm. And from that moment on, I knew, yeah, I, I can ask questions. The president, he responds. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's pretty well worked that way through my whole life. And, and it kind of taught me looking back that, yeah, I had a proclivity for this. I I had a talent for it, or maybe it's not even a talent. Maybe it's the way I kind of describe it. It's like if you are a basketball player mm. and in fifth grade, all of a sudden you could, you notice that your hands can palm a basketball. That's kind of what it feels like. It doesn't, now you can palm the basketball, it doesn't mean you're going to be a great basketball player. You're going to have to work at it. Yeah. But it means that there's some, there are things that you have that will enable you to be a good interviewer. Mm. And so that's probably where it started. That's great. What do you think about that made you a great interviewer? Well, I went through an evolution to become, know what I'm doing. Yeah. And one of the first stops for me, very similar experience actually, was at the University of Missouri because I knew that I wanted to be a writer when I was in high school. I wanted to see my face on a newspaper column in a big city newspaper. Mm. I wanted to write a magazine story about my childhood hero, Muhammad Ali. Mm. Those were my goals. So I knew I had to learn how to interview. And I applied to the University of Missouri because I heard it was the best and I got accepted. And usually when you go to the school newspaper at a place like Missouri, there was fierce competition because everybody went there to try and be a newspaper columnist. Yeah. And they, they had, when I arrived, there were, Three student newspapers. Like most colleges have one newspaper. The university, the journalism school, had its own full-fledged newspaper. And then there were two student newspapers. And so I got on one of them and started to go to the football games. And you couldn't, at that point, it was only three weeks into my freshman year, so generally, you're a small fry. You're not going to get a press pass to get into the locker room and interview anybody. You got to wait like two or three years. 
Hmm. But I would go to all the road games and after the game ended, I'd get a press pass from the photographer and I'd be able to get into the locker rooms. And I remember going into the locker room and here is a guy named Tom Osborne. He was a coach at University of Nebraska. And this guy won national championships. And I remember standing there with all the other reporters. Everybody's asking questions. And then all of a sudden, I asked a question. He looked at me. And he answered it very thoughtfully. And I saw everybody scribbling down the answer. And so it was another case of, yeah, you're just like everybody else in here. They're all grown men. And and there was no women back then in that locker room. But... 40, 50 years old. And it just seemed normal to me. Mm. So I always knew that I could do that. And then I started to do that for for newspapers. But then the big jump happened after I, I spent two years in newspapers. And then I went to a magazine in New York. Mm. Very special, amazing magazine. It was called Inside Sports. What made it special was it was a startup the real literary bent. So I don't know if you're familiar with Hunter S. Thompson, the gonzo journalist, or at least the movie uh, played by Johnny Depp. Uh, this guy was like a character. Okay. Like, and I, I realize if, if somebody is listening and they're 25 years old, they will have no idea. This guy wrote uh, like many books and he would like drop acid while he was on a presidential campaign. <laughs> so he was, he's, he's crazy. Yeah. And his writing was fantastic. He's hanging out with hell's angels. And, wow. and so this guy would come into town to write for the same magazine or he'd show up to talk to the editors. And so I'd find myself at the bar, you know, throwing back shots with him or meeting with a guy named David Halberstam, who was a Pulitzer prize winner. So I like these, these were big time dudes. Yeah. And it was a great, great year. And then the magazine bellied up. Oh, no. It was a startup. Yeah. And like a lot of startups, it's artistic success, great idea. But it just didn't work out commercially. So I'm basically in New York, 23 years old. I sort of lived my dream. I covered Muhammad Ali's title fight when he won the heavyweight championship for the third time. I've, I've basically accomplished, I've had my face in a newspaper, the column I wrote. Yeah. I basically accomplished everything I set out to when I was 23. And so I'm looking around thinking, oh man, what am I going to do now? It was, it was sort of like a life crisis. So I decided to travel. Mm. And basically I called up my mom and dad and said, you know, I think I'm going to take a little time off go see the world. And my mom says, Oh, that's wonderful, Cal. And little did she know when she said that, that I wasn't coming back for 10 years. Oh, wow. So that's where I really learned to interview because mm-hmm. I had no money. And so I would board buses and trains. So I'd first, I'd go to the train station and walk up to the counter and ask when's the next train go out? Eight minutes. Didn't matter to me where it was going. I just bought a ticket, got on the train, and I'd walk down the aisle. And that's where the trip really started for me because 
I had to look down that train, see somebody who had an empty seat next to them, somebody who looked interesting, somebody I thought I could trust, somebody I thought who could trust me. Because if I sat next to them and by the end of that ride, I needed them to invite me home <laughs> and have a roof over my head that night and and basically to feed me as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty much how I got around the world uh, because people that I met would take me in and then a party would start. And then <laughs> once the party would start, all the new people I met at the party would want the party to continue at their house. So they invite <laughs> me to come with them or send me off to meet their uncle in a distant city. Yeah. And people started to pass me around the world. And, wow. and now here's the difference. Now you got, what do they call it? Couch, couch surfer. Yeah. I can do this on the internet. <laughs> if they would have had couch surfing when I was traveling, forget it. I would have been a, beast because people I would have had like a five-star rating (laughs) and people would have been clamoring for me to show up and bring the party to their place I love that yeah it it would be man I really would like to know what it would be like to be 22 now just take off around the world with these tools Mm. with couch surfing you and then the internet, like my mother and father, they, we had no cell phones then. <laughs> they didn't know where I was. Yeah. You know, I would send write them a postcard. Okay. Like I'm in Yugoslavia. And by the time they got it, who knows? You know, I might've been in Tunisia. Yeah. And then occasionally once a month, I might, you know, make a collect call to say, I'm okay. Here's where <laughs> I'm at. But very, very, very different from the way people think with yeah. the internet now. I mean, everything was so much different. Like when I was a kid, we got the Wizard of Oz once a year. Mm. That's it. We got a Charlie Brown animated Christmas special once a year. And you waited for it. There were only three stations on TV. You had ABC, NBC, CBS, and maybe, and of course, local stations. Uh-huh. But that might have been one local station, maybe two. Mm. And I like I can remember waking up before six o'clock in the morning, turning the TV set on, and you'd get with a blank screen. They just did. There was nothing on 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 at that hour. Yeah, you you had to wait. I don't know what it would do to my mind or how I would be different to like find something you like and then be able to go to the internet and say, I want to watch the wizard of Oz 22 straight times. (laughs) Or I want to see every episode of I love Lucy in a day. I mean, that's wild to me. Yeah. And this is the world that my kids live in. Yeah, you can have anything. And it's and it's normal to you. And like YouTube, when you th- you think of that, what an invention. <laughs> like to be able to see just about anything from the past. I I don't know what would have happened if I would have had that in high school. Cause when I was a kid, 
I was like a big boxing fan. Loved to watch the fights. Muhammad Ali was my childhood hero. Now I could literally go on YouTube and see all the fights from the 70s when I was growing up that I never was able to see back then. It's, but I wonder what that does to, to your mind to be able to have anything you want right now. We had to wait or mm. we didn't see it. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> that was normal, man. That was, <laughs> that was normal. And like the worst thing was to show up like the next day after something big happened that everybody else saw mm. because you couldn't go back and YouTube it. You missed it. You weren't, yeah. it just it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I mean, to give you an idea of what it was like when Elvis became hot and then later with the Beatles, like they went on what was called the Ed Sullivan show. And so he had this like Sunday night show and basically half the country was tuning into this. And so if you missed Elvis or you missed the Beatles, basically you were cooked. You went into school the next morning and you were clueless. <laughs> Everybody was talking about it. So there's a real beauty I see in having all this information. And yet at the same time, I see that something is lost where back in the day, Everybody was focused on one thing at once. Mm. And I could see the good about it. I could see the bad about it. Because the good is, like, you had to be really great to make the cut. Mm. You had to be Elvis. Yeah. Uh, so that basically, like, locked out a lot of people. Uh, whereas now, so many great artists can be seen by so many people. So there's a beauty to that. It's just a different world. Totally different world. Totally different world. And who I like to know 20 years from now, where are we going to be then brother? There's so many things coming out that possibilities of technology that who knows. Do, Do robots scare you? A little bit. I think the AI thing scares me. In, in the sense that you can, a computer can develop and learn faster than the human brain at a certain point. But where it's going to, where is it going to go? I don't think any of us really know. Well, will you get into a car that's driving you where you don't have your hands on the steering wheel? You maybe you're sitting, <laughs> you're sitting in the back seat and cars just telling you or the car is just taking you where you tell it to go. Yeah. It, you know, it, what's a stronger calculation, a human calculation or a computer calculation? I, I don't know. I was just reading a letter to, from the editor in Esquire magazine, David Granger. I was writing about this very subject. Mm. And you just, it's very hard to just abdicate your life over to a, a machine, although we're doing it all the time. It's, yeah. it's, it seems that we get in an elevator, the elevator tells us where to go. 
So I'm going to have to watch this one really, really carefully. I think there's going to have to be a few guinea pigs before I step in that car. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm going to let some people take over first. Try it out first. (laughs) So let's go back a little bit and to where you were. How did you, you know, when you got back from your your journey overseas around the world, how did you start making money by interviewing and writing? Okay, so that's a good question. Back then, it was much easier to make a living as a freelance writer for magazines than it is now. Mm. You know, what happened, even I can remember starting out in magazines in like 1980. You got like $2 a word. Hmm. Now on the internet, I hear people are getting like 10 cents a word or (laughs) something like that. I mean, they may hear $2 a word and go, what? Uh, But that was, that was basically the standard uh, fee for somebody who was writing for magazine, like uh, sports illustrated or, and I imagine you got more if you were, writing for time, which is very healthy at the time. Mm-hmm. And then things through the, through the eighties and the nineties, you could still make a very good living uh, writing for magazines. And you could also sell the stories to magazines abroad and they would pay you another $2 a word or so. And then I think it's been, was well, certainly in the last 10 years, it feels, it feels like everything is just yeah. turning into quicksand. Mm. And I, I think for somebody starting out in magazines, they, they might have a hard time getting $2 a word somewhere. Yeah. And it really, it feels like everything is moving to the internet and not only to the internet, but to the internet with video. Mm-hmm. And so when I go on, say the ESPN website, say about six years ago, it was mostly pictures with stories next to it. And they had to have writers write those stories. Now when I go... It's generally a series of quick videos. Mm. So even on the internet where you think, wow, there's this unlimited space to put words, you're not making that much money to put those words on the internet. And two, it seems more and more it's being supplanted by the the videos. So I've started to do video interviewing. Oh. And I started to speak. And... Uh, I write books, but you know, the book market, same thing happened. Uh, years ago, you could get a, you know, a nice livable advance to, to write books. And it's just seems like it's less and less and less mm-hmm. as time passes because, well, books used to be sold in bookstores and now they're mostly sold on the internet and price is less on the internet. Yeah. And so everything is less. The amount of money people are paying for the book 
amount of money writers are getting as an advance for the book. So it's, it's hard as a writer. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. I can't speak that much to movies and television because I haven't really done that. But the feeling is if you're doing it on a really high level, you're going to be well compensated no matter where you are mm. in any of those industries. But if you're just starting out, it's, 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 I think it's much tougher now than it was certainly when I started. Yeah. How do you, how do you build your, how do you get to that top level? Well, that's a good question. I mean, if you're, if you're young, I, I had uh, a young woman, I think she was in college at the time, call me up and say, I want to be a comedy writer for Chelsea Handler. Can you can you get me in the door like to an interview so that mm-hmm. you know they'll talk to me and see what I've got? And I said, Well, like you graduated from college? No, but I like I'm sure I can do it. <laughs> and I said, Well, you know, there are a lot of people trying to get that job. I think you gotta start yourself up. But the great thing for you is that there's YouTube. You can create your own YouTube channel. Write the things you want to write, act them out, interview people. You're completely free and attract a following. And then Chelsea Handler may find you. Yeah. And she says, wow. And the next thing I know, <laughs> she's got a YouTube channel where she's applying makeup. And Thousands of people are following her while she's applying makeup. Cosmetics companies are giving her all kinds of makeup so that she'll they'll please, please, please use this. Yeah. Uh, and she was able to get herself off the ground. So th- that's the beauty of where we're at right now. And if there's frustration with that, like, how, how am I going to climb this mountain? And, and, it actually, look at Time Magazine. Time Magazine used to have like 130 pages in an issue. Yeah. Now it looks like a pamphlet. So <laughs> to say, how do I get to the top of that? That's that's a big question. I mean, I, if you're just starting out, maybe it would have taken you five years to get to Time Magazine. Who knows if there will be a Time Magazine yeah. in five years? Or certainly one in print. Yeah. And there's no guarantees. And this obviously has to make people in the magazine industry squeamish. And the crazy thing is, I go to the magazine racks in LA and they can stretch for a quarter of a block. There's a magazine on every topic you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And so there are these openings. So what I would say to somebody who's just starting out is find your niche, find what you're really passionate about. You love mm. to surf. There's more than one surfing magazine out there. Yeah. Go to that surfing magazine. Hit them with your story ideas. Tell them what you want to do. Mm. And if they won't listen to you there, go to another surfing magazine. 
just keep hounding these people because if you're that passionate, you will break in. And then once you break in, people will see you. But the crazy thing about it is it's so much easier to just start a YouTube channel, go down by the beach and start telling surfing the stories. <laughs> You'll probably get thousands of followers. So climbing the old mountain may not be the best thing to do. Yeah, It may be trying to just go out and surf this new ocean. And uh, it's interesting because the guy who started the internet, Vint Surf, he says it's a happy coincidence, the phrase surf the web. Yeah. But it you know, wasn't meant to be C-E-R-F, the web. It was S-U-R-F. If I was young, I don't know that I would be looking backward to climb yesterday's mountain. I I would be going full speed ahead. And look, I'm in my 50s. I'm looking full speed ahead. Because if you've been around, you see Rolling Stone magazine, just the size of it is almost... It's like 60% mm. of what it used to be. And that's just the height and the width. And then the pages are much less. Yeah. So we just don't know how long that old mountain is going to be there. Yeah. That doesn't say, like to climb mountains, go climb the mountain. And it's a great old mountain to be there. But you can do this on your own. Look at you. Look at you. You got yeah. a podcast. Yeah. You got your, your own radio station right now. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. And we're sitting here with all this equipment. But all this equipment that fit in your backpack. Yeah. Now here's, see, here's the thing. Okay. People want to know what young people, how, how can I get started? All this equipment on this desk easily fit in your backpack. Meaning if you wanted to start traveling around the world, set up a podcast wherever you were and start interviewing people all over the world and just putting it up on the internet. Hey, that, that interests me. If you're, if you're talking to interesting people, wherever you go, I, now I got three kids. I can't travel around the world <laughs> without a home for 10 years, yeah. but I could live that life through you. Mm. If you decided to do that. So there's, it's unlimited all this stuff yeah. you can do. And there's no reason to feel, oh, I mean, the, the good old days are gone. Because, look, Billy Joel once said, the good, always, the good old days weren't always good and tomorrow isn't as bad as it <laughs> seems. It sounds a lot better when he's singing it, but the truth is there. There are millions of great things you can do. And... Fit into your backpack. Yeah. You don't, you don't even have to travel around the world. You could, you could be working a minimum wage job in a city and then using your off hours to go explore the city and mm -hmm. do a podcast with the most interesting people in that city. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know what? You are an expert on your city. And the radio stations 
can now look at you and you have a body of work mm. and, and you have a body of work that those radio stations may not have. <laughs> and so it's not a matter of, Hey, you got to pay your dues here. You got to come into this radio station and sweep the floors and get somebody coffee. No, you went out, you on your own did those podcasts, you put them up and now you got a body of work. Yeah. And, and not only that, look, you, you got to learn. And so once you do them, you're going to listen to yourself. And wow, I kind of messed up there. Yeah. I could have said that better. Now that I missed the opportunity to ask that question. All of a sudden you're the man or you're the woman. Yeah. And now the city magazine may write about you and you got instant credibility you did it all on your own. It's a beautiful thing, the openness to this internet. And so nobody who's 22 should be feeling, oh, woe is me. I, yeah. I, I, I can't find a job. Oh, this is terrible. Because there's some job out there. You may not like it, but it might give you 20, 30 hours a week free time to do what you want to do. Yeah. Go out and have fun, do it, load it on the internet. And now you're on your way. Cause in the old days, you basically, you had to go say work at a newspaper and they didn't give you, you didn't get the plum beat when you started, you know, they, they put you on the high school beat and you covered high schools for a few years. And then you got, College beat, maybe if you were lucky and maybe after eight years, you got to where you were the second person covering the pro team in town. Yeah. Now you, you can figure out ways to be on, on the radar and everybody's radar immediately. If you're sharp, just do it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. You, it's, and it just comes down to doing it. I think that's the biggest thing that is the hardest thing for people is to actually get off the couch and do it. What, now, why? Tell me, what? Why is that hard? Why is it hard to get out, off the couch? I, that's something I don't get. <laughs> if you have a choice to sit on a couch or go into a bar and meet somebody who's really interesting and say and set up a mic on the bar and ask to do a podcast. Where would you rather be? What What is there on the couch? I mean, content. <laughs> it's all this content. If you're on the couch, you're just sitting there sucking it in. Yeah. So basically, you don't want to go out and put the content out. You want to sit there and have it come to you. Yeah, or, or just consume it versus create it. Well, I mean, that's cool if that's yeah. what you like. Yeah. But don't sit around consuming it. And saying, I won't, why can't I get a job? Why, what is it going to take to get to the top of the mountain? Exactly. This, exactly. Nobody's going to get to the top of the mountain sitting on a couch. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, I don't know. I don't, I know many of my friends that I've recently met are in their early 20s. As I said, none of them are sitting on a couch. 
So it's it's hard for me to gauge, but they're generally in that entrepreneur under that umbrella of entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And entrepreneurs just, I don't think they sit on the couch. They go out and- No, no. But yeah, the ones that are doing things are actually doing it is, is the point, I think. Yeah. But, and look, like I, I get it. And, and, and this is what I was talking about before, where if you had given me the internet when I was 14, and all of a sudden on one day I could watch every one of Muhammad Ali's fights, you know what? I probably <laughs> would have sat on the couch and watched every one of those fights. But there's got to be a point where you say to yourself, am I going to be a watcher or am I going to be a doer? Mm, that's good. Are you going to be a watcher or a doer? Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode with Cal Fussman and stay tuned for part two coming up in a couple weeks where Cal flips the mic and interviews me. We also hear his amazing story about interviewing Muhammad Ali. So if you enjoyed today's episode, if it resonated with you, if you learned something, I would love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes sharing it on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, any social media platform you like. Shopdocradio.com slash EP89 is the link to the episode if you want to share it. And also you can find me on Instagram at Nick Onkin, Snapchat, the Nick Onkin for some daily behind the scenes in my life and fun projects that I'm working on. So with that, go out, create your life by creating every moment, and we'll see you next time.